Now we give a warm welcome today to everyone joining with us for uh, public worship, both to those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship today by singing to God's praise from Psalm number 63. It's page 295 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. Lord thee my God, I'll early seek, my soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein no waters be, that I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face, as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. Lord, thee my God, I'll early seek. Lord, thee my God, mother hen treats her chicks 
with all that maternal love and concern and yet it is an image that you have used concerning yourself in that very song we come here today as sinners it's the only way we can come but we pray that we would flee to you in our sins and that this day we would be found sheltering under the shadow of your wing the song speaks about following you hard and we understand that to be with commitment and ardency but sometimes our following of you is so lackluster and indifferent and we ask you this day to forgive us for being like that we pray Lord that we would indeed along with the psalmist seek you early early in our life's journey but early in each given day as well when we open our eyes in the morning may our minds turn heavenwards because in you we live and move and have our being but may we seek you early in facing any problems we might have in life's journey and we have plenty of these but for some odd reason sometimes you're the last one we turn to please forgive us for that as well we thank you for the table that is spread before us this day a table that has symbols of a broken body and shed blood may we remind ourselves that this is God's way of seeking to convey to us how serious a thing sin really is we cannot sort it out it can only be sorted out with the death of Jesus of Nazareth that is an enormous phenomenon we pray that we wouldn't lose sight of that but it takes an enormous sacrifice to deal with sin that is just as enormous we pray O Lord that we would be upfront and honest with you this day that we wouldn't try to hoodwink ourselves or hoodwink others or even hoodwink the eternal God we come in all our fallenness in all our weakness and in all our depravity this day but we come to someone who has made a provision for us and we pray that we would relish that once again on this day when we as a nation remember the fallen in many wars and the sacrifices that have been made to give us the freedoms we have may we be appreciative but may we be appreciative above all else for the sacrifice that Christ made on behalf of sinners we give thanks this day for the sound of little voices in our midst we pray that you'd bless the born and the unborn of this congregation we pray for those who are well on in years who by any measurement are coming to the end of their earthly sojourn we pray for those in mid-years please watch over us all and we remember afresh those who are mourning we remember uh, in this Fraser's family who will put a loved one into the bowels of the earth until the resurrection comes next Thursday O oh Lord our God may we remind ourselves each and every day of our mortality and may we prepare to meet our God may we remember that the only way to be prepared to meet God is through Jesus we thank you for our family circles bless them wherever they might be this day we pray that these circles would be unbroken in the great beyond that we would all trust in Jesus as friend and as saviour and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now just a little word for the young people today you'll notice that a lot of people are wearing poppies either uh, wee badges or uh, whatever the, the other ones are made out of probably paper and plastic this is Remembrance Sunday and um, 
These poppies have become a symbol. They represent something because in the First World War in an area of Belgium and France known as Flanders Field and that's where they dug trenches and they engaged in warfare. They slogged it out in terrible conditions in these trenches during the First World War. But in the midst of all the devastation these beautiful poppies grew in Flanders Field. And the poppy has become a symbol to remind us of the number of people who died, but not just those who died, but those who were injured also, who made a sacrifice in order to give us the freedoms that we have this day. People paid a heavy price. Now I know that figures are disputed, but between World War I and World War II, it's thought that a conservative figure for those who died would be 70 million people. That's an enormous number of people. War is a terrible thing. And we see that on our television screens with the Ukraine situation at present. We are here today with the liberties and the freedoms we have. Because many lay down their lives to give us these freedoms. And we are here today to remember and to appreciate. But just as these poppies are symbols of the, what grew in Flanders Field and have come to symbolize the sacrifice that others made to give us freedoms, there are more symbols on this table here before us today. The symbol of bread and the symbol of wine and they speak and we'll speak about this in the sermon today they speak about the sacrifice that Jesus made that can enable any of us who trust in him to have the freedoms of living in a God honouring way and to have the freedom of entering into heaven in the world beyond this one we remember the freedoms we have in this nation we had today because of what others did for us Hopefully we remember what Jesus did for us today and we honour his name. Now let's read God's word as we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read at verse 17, 1 Corinthians 11 and at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. <clears throat> when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. <clears throat> for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? <clears throat> shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, <clears throat> This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. <clears throat> for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, <clears throat> you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then <clears throat> and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill. And some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined 
so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading from his word. Let's read again in the same passage at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of scripture. The Apostle Paul in this letter that he was writing to the church in Corinth is addressing a church that has got major problems. And I don't know a denomination today in Scotland that hasn't got major problems. It looks as if there is nothing new under the sun. But the Apostle Paul doesn't ignore the problems in this church. And as I said yesterday evening, we understand where at least some of the problems came from because Corinth, to be Corinthianized, was to go to the devil. It was a city full of vice. It was a city full of depravity. It is a city full of debauchery. But in the midst of that city, you find a people of God. And you find a people of God in that city because of who God is. Because the God we are here to worship today is a God who seeks out and who searches out and draws to himself sinners. Sinners of the deepest dye. Sinners of the most profound hue. That's who God draws to himself. You know, sometimes we make this major mistake. We think that we've got to sort ourselves out so that we're good enough to impress God enough so that God will say, okay, you've made the grade. I'm going to take you into heaven with me. That's not the way it works. I know that many of us, including myself, have operated at that level for a period of our lives. It's a miserable existence trying to sort the mess your life is out so that you're being impressive enough for God to save you. God does not operate at that level. You know, we live in a very religious world. There are endless religions And sometimes I think, no wonder people get confused with it. But every single religion minus one is operating at that level. Get myself up to the standard of whatever God I believe in and I will be okay. And along comes Jesus of Nazareth. And he operates at the other end of the spectrum. He stoops into this world. He stoops into the murky waters of a depraved and broken and debauched world. And he works in the lives of individuals. And he changes them. He gloriously gives them his own righteousness for their own sins. And then he begins a great process in the lives of these people. We call it, or at least... Theologians call it sanctification. It's an ongoing uh, process. But it is absolutely unique, the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, in that he saves us in our sins as we are. And he did that for people in the city of Corinth. But when people become believers... They're not done with sin in their lives, unfortunately. And that's the way it was in Corinth. And this church was not very old when it ran into major, major problems. One of the major problems was this. There were serious divisions amongst it. 
Some said, I'm a Paul man. Another said, I'm a Cephas man. Another said, I'm an Apollos man. And Paul's got to deal with that problem. It ran into another major problem of a sexual nature. That church was there allowing and indeed even encouraging something that not even the heathens would allow. And their thinking was this. We're so understanding. And we're so broad-minded. And we're so willing to accept anyone and anything. We are so not going to be selective and judgmental in any kind of way. Well, wherever they got that from, they didn't get it from the God of the Bible. Because God is selective. And God is a God of judgment. Now I must qualify that. God is a God full of mercy. And he is full of compassion. But he holds these things in perfect equilibrium. His justice and his compassion. These so called liberated minds in Corinth forgot that. They got the balance wrong. And then there was a major problem when it came to sitting at the Lord's table because they had what they called the Agape Feast, a fellowship meal prior to the Lord's table. Great idea. Great idea. But it went wrong. The selfishness of individuals was such they couldn't be bothered waiting for others to come along so they made gluttons of themselves. But not only did they make gluttons of themselves they were there in a drunken state and they were going in that kind of way. Debauched with gluttony and drunkenness to the Lord's table. So there were plenty problems in the church in Corinth. And here is Paul and he's addressing these problems. But at the end of the day, Paul is inspired by God, so it's God who's addressing these uh, problems. Now, the wonderful thing about this passage of Scripture is this. I suggested maybe, and I suggested in my sermon last night that maybe if the issues of Corinth came before a Kirk session today, there might be some Kirk sessions that would say, we cannot have this. These people love to go. They're a disgrace, and they're bringing the church of God into disrepute. They're out. Get rid of them. That's not what happens here. That is not what happens here. Now, let me just get this right. Paul is not putting his head in the sand and pretending there are no problems around. He is facing them head on. And God is doing exactly the same. But what God is saying to them is this. This is wrong. Get it sorted. Get it sorted and come to the Lord's table in the right kind of way. Because Paul says earlier on in this very passage that we've read, you know, you come to the Lord's table, but it's not the Lord's table you're coming to. You're kidding yourselves. You're hoodwinking yourself. You're in pretense. You need to come in the right kind of way. Of way. So what is the right kind of way to come to the Lord's table? I want to look at this word that in the English here has been translated into a proclaim. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I think in the authorised version it uses the words you show forth. I want to explore who exactly someone coming to the Lord's table is proclaiming to or showing forth to. And the first person is this. God himself. What is it that somebody who comes to the Lord's table is proclaiming to God, is is showing forth to God? They are making a proclamation that they have believed in God and they have believed in God's remedy for sin. 
You know, sometimes this major mistake is made by people. It's made by the world out there. These people go to church and they think they're a cut above everybody else. And usually they will add on, but, but we know. We know what they're really like. But that's where there's a, a major mistake made. These people that go to church who think they're a cut above everyone else, wherever they've got the, their so-called Christianity from, it's not been from the Word of God. And then they will go on and, oh yes, these people that go to the table, they think they're so holy, holy, and so pious, pious, they're way above everybody else. Well, anybody that sits at the Lord's table with that kind of thinking should never be anywhere near the Lord's table. The Lord's table has symbols. It's got a symbol of bread and it's got a symbol of wine. That symbol of bread speaks about the brokenness of a body and that symbol of wine speaks about blood that has been shed. Now, whose blood was shed? This is incredible stuff. Because Jesus of Nazareth was crucified because he made this claim, I'm not just human, I'm God. I am God manifest in the flesh. And you think, why on earth would God manifest himself in the flesh? Why on earth would God become a human being? And the answer to that question is, because you and I are in the mess we're in, that's why. It's a phenomenal thing God has done. And we can lose sight of that. You know, we come up to Christmas time, whether we've got the time of year of Christ's birth right or not, I'm not terribly interested in that. We do know that he came, he was born into this world. Why on earth would God become a human being? It's because of you and I and the way we are, that's why. You know, when Jesus spoke to his disciples about his imminent death, not one of them believed him. And you think, why didn't they believe him? They'd been with him for three, three and a half years. They knew what he was like. They knew they could depend on him. They knew he was the way, the truth, and the life. So you would have thought they will radically believe in him. But you know the other side of the coin is this. He's not just a man. He's the God man. And there is no way in this world that the God man will die. And we understand their thinking. We understand their reasoning. We understand their logic. But you know what? The God-man has to die. And you know why he has to die? Because of the enormity of sin. That's why. And let's remember this. If you and I are sitting at this table today, it's not so much the sin that's out there in the world, although that is a problem today. That's not the major problem for a believer. The major problem for a believer is himself or herself. It's my life, it's my history, it's my sinfulness that is the major sticking point. Except it wasn't a sticking point for Jesus of Nazareth. Because he did die. And he had to die to satisfy the justice of an eternal God. You know, I think we just get so used to our sinning and our sinfulness that it's almost like water off a duck's back at times but not at all times for the real believer the real believer is burdened the real believer struggles the real believer comes again and again to the footstool of the Christ who was broken and whose blood was shed and when a believer comes to the Lord's table in the right kind of way, they come in all their brokenness and they come in all their sinfulness and they put their hands up to this eternal God and they say, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And the astonishing thing is, this God is a merciful God. Uh, that's why Jesus came into this world. That's why he lived among us for 33 years. That's why he died at Calvary. And that's what this is all about.
And your proclamation today as you sit at this table is a proclamation that says to God, I accept your way of putting it right. I'm saying yes to it all. What are we saying yes to? Yes, I'm an enormous sinner. Yes, your mercy is as high as the heavens. Yes, I'm embracing you in Christ. And that is a glorious, glorious thing to do. But it's not just a a proclamation to God. In the second place, I want to speak about it being a proclamation to ourselves. And that is important. And I'll tell you why that is important. As we go through life's journey, those who have fled to Jesus are people who have been justified. Now remember what justification is. It's a one-off act. And it's from the law courts. And God is the judge. And God is basically saying... As far as you are concerned, I don't see any sin. Now you think, how on earth does that work? I'm the biggest sinner in the world and yet God is saying, as far as I can see, there's no sin there. Because when we come to Jesus in all our sin and in all our poverty, we give it to him. But that's only half the story. The other half of the story is Jesus gives us something. And what he gives us is his spotless righteousness. That is an astonishing truth. We would never dare to conjure it up. We would be too scared to, but it comes straight from the pages of Scripture. Do you remember the man that was in the temple, the sinner? And he would not as much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And he was saying, I'm the greatest sinner in the world in that prayer. And we read, he went down to his house justified. Spotless in the eyes of God. That is what this great substitutionary work of Christ is all about. No wonder at times we have to pinch ourselves when we start thinking, this sounds too good to be true. It is the truth. It is the truth. And so we stand spotless in the eyes of a holy God. Does that mean we're finished with sin in this world? No, it doesn't. The doctrine of sanctification is that there's a battle on our hands. And the battle is with our sin. You know what it's like. You sit out in a day and you want to honour God and there's something else in you that wants to do your own thing and rebel against God. And the battle goes back and forth, back and forth. It's the battle... That goes on in the work, the progressive work of sanctification. But I'm afraid this is a scenario that unfolds very often with the people of God. I am so polluted and I am so defiled and I am so through other with sin. I think I've made a mistake. I think it's all a sham. I think it's all been a great pretense. And the enemy of our souls is there in the shadows whispering away in our ears. And of course that's exactly what he wants to happen. But God has given us a Bible. We need to read it. To get ourselves out of these kinds of situations. You know, if we're not reading our Bibles, we're going to be in trouble. If we're not having fellowship with other Christians, we're going to be in trouble. If we are not coming and making use of the Lord's Supper. Now, I must qualify this. There are some people who are physically unable to come to God's house to, uh, to make use of these blessings. I'm not talking about people who are in that situation. The Lord understands. But there are others who could be here and perhaps who should be here. And I'm not going to come crashing down on you with a ton of bricks, but I'm basically going to say this. If you don't use the privileges that God has given to you, it's not good. And you're going to suffer. God has given us means of grace. 
If we don't use these means of grace, we are going to struggle. Now, life's enough of a struggle without adding any add-ons. He has provided this table. He has put the bread and the wine on it. These are symbols. This poppy is a symbol of the sacrifice that many made in great wars and lesser wars to give us the freedoms we know in this country that God has put us in. But we are talking about these other symbols, the bread and the wine. These are proclamations when we use them in the right way to ourselves, I often think. That a communion table is a sermon to every one of our senses. We see the bread and the wine. We smell the bread and the wine. We taste the bread and the wine. And we hear the words that explain what these things are all about. God's explanation. And we touch these elements. So our, all, all our five senses, it's a sermon to us. And when we come in all our poverty and sin to God's solution to our plight it's a proclamation this table to ourselves as well but thirdly I want to say this it's a proclamation to God it's a proclamation to ourselves but it's also a proclamation to everybody else the vast number of people in this land today on this one day in seven that God has set aside for us to worship him in public and in private are not remotely interested in doing that. And they're not remotely interested in doing that because they're not remotely interested in God. That's the sad reality. Some of them we love dearly. Some of them we've known for decades. And we get along with them in life's journey as best we can. But the bottom line is this. We know there are two destinations beyond this world. And it's all just so heartbreaking. And there are times when the struggle is such that Christians feel like just throwing the towel in and walking away. But the real genuine believer will never do that. Why not? Why don't you, in the face of all the uphill struggles and your own personal sin, why do you not just walk away and forget about it all? You cannot do that. Why not? Because you are a believer. You believe in God. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as a solution for sin. And you believe that in all your poverty, he has met your every need. That's why you can't walk away. And your very being here today and your very sitting at this table is a proclamation. And it is a proclamation that says that you have fled to this Christ who is God's remedy for your sin. And hopefully it will speak to others. What do we want it to say? What do we want it to be said to others? Well, certainly not that we're better than they are. I think what we want to say to others is, you need to get into this boat as well. You need this Christ as well. You need him for eternal salvation, just as much as we do. We are to be people who speak the truth. But we are to be people who speak the truth in love. And in order to do that, we need God's grace. And here we are this day. By grace we are here this day. And if any of us are to sit at this table, we will sit at this table by grace. And by grace alone. Now we have come to the part of the sermon that's known as the fencing of the Lord's table and I think probably I've done that in pointing out how we should come to the Lord's table. If anybody is coming feeling superior and feeling they've made the grade and feeling they're a lot better than others around them, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. If you come 
And you're on the floor. You're on the deck. Because you are who you are. But in all your poverty and in all your sinfulness, you've cried, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Then that is the right way to come. And let me just say this. The devil can cause havoc on any service that's conducted here, but in particular a communion Sunday. And one of the ways he really destroys on our communion Sunday is this he reignites our memory of sins and he reignites all the problems around us and that can be quite devastating don't be unaware of his strategies don't be unaware of his strategies he wants you to feel so abhorrent of yourself that you just cannot get to the Lord's table at all. You'd better stay away. No, you had better not stay away. Because Christ came to save sinners. Christ came to cleanse us from our sins. Let's read in Galatians 5 and at 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live with the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now as we sing some verses from Psalm 118 and at verse 15 the elements will be prepared. We'll sing verses 15 to 18 of Psalm 118. In dwellings of the righteous is heard the melody of joy and health.
Now we have read our warrant for uh, the Lord's table. Uh, we know that on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord took bread, and when he had uh, given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. In like manner also he took the cup, and he had supped, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. We'll endeavor to give thanks, eternal God. We pray that in the rush of life's journey, we would stop at a moment like this, and that we would be still and we would know that you are God. And we pray that we would ponder what these elements symbolize. We pray that the enormity of what God did and what Christ endured in order to redeem sinners such as we are would sink into our minds and into our hearts and make us deeply appreciative of everything that you have done for us. We pray that you would keep the enemy of our souls at bay and we pray that by your Spirit we would be able to worship you in a way that is indeed honoring to you. And all we ask is that as we sanctify this bread and set it aside from a daily use to a sacred use, that you would come in with us and do us good. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now, uh, this proclamation that we've been speaking about to God, to ourselves, and to others is a proclamation until Christ comes back to this world for a second time. And when Christ comes back to this world for a second time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is who he really says he is, Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. With Christ's first coming, that's not the way it went. In fact, the people who were behind the crucifixion of Christ, the real pushers, were the church leaders of the day. That's who really pushed the agenda to have Christ's body broken and blood shed. Well, at one level at any rate, but there's something going off on at another level as well. God took the machinations of evil men, albeit they are in powerful positions in the church, and he turned their agenda on its head, because in the death and the resurrection of Christ, God was sorting out your problem and mine. What's the problem? It's the problem of sin. And people who sit at this table and who partake of these elements, as I've said again and again in this sermon, are basically saying, we agree with you. We are falling in with you. We are at one with you. The bitterest enmity of mankind crucified Jesus. God turns it all on its head. And he gives us a glorious table and wonderful uh, symbols this day. And so we read that on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, as we have endeavored to do, he took the bread and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, a broken for you. In like manner also, he took the cup after they had supped, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. On one occasion, when um, Peter 
was being told about what we've just dealt with in symbols, he said, that be far from thee, Lord. And I suppose at one level we understand where he was coming from. He'd spent three years with Christ. He believed that Christ was God come in the flesh. Flesh and blood had not revealed that to him. God had revealed that to him. There was no way in the world that Jesus was dying as far as he was concerned. But Jesus of Nazareth, true to form, called a spade a spade. And even to one of his closest friends, he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. And that is a reminder to us that sometimes we can think that we're engaging in the most profoundly sanctimonious conduct. But in reality, we're doing the devil's work. And Christ calls a spade a spade. Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Christ has an agenda. And his agenda includes... Death did not conquer him. He gave himself over to it. He gave himself to this. He gave himself to prepare this table for whom? For for sinners. This is the price of sin. It's an enormous price, but it's been paid. That is why we can sing just now the words of Psalm 103, the Scottish Psalter, at the beginning of the song, O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is be stilled at this holy name to magnify and bless. Let's stand and sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 103. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord.
join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you for the provision you have made for us. We pray that you would bless each and every one who sat at this table this day. Protect them from the enemy of their souls. And please remember those who haven't sat. We pray that they would indeed be trusting in you. And we pray that they would be given the grace to proclaim your death. May we remember that we know not what a day or an hour may bring forth. We can be in eternity in the twinkling of an eye. Oh God, please help us all to embrace you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise from Psalm number 72. It's at verse 17. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him and blessed. All nations shall him call. Verses 17 to 19. His name forever shall endure. join the congregation as members. That's the Reverend James Sim and his wife Esther and Andrew and Marie Somerville. It's lovely to have uh, new members and we long for the day when others will proclaim their trust in Christ in this public way as well. Now the Reverend James Sims will take the evening service and hopefully we'll remember him uh, in prayer and uh, just to remind you that there will be a fellowship after the evening service and everybody's welcome to come along uh, to that now may grace mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one both now and forevermore 